Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. These two were faithful slaves of Christ for their entire Christian lives and show us patterns of ones that counted all things loss on account of Christ. Witness Lee completed his comprehensive work called The Life Study of the Bible before going to be with the Lord in 1997. And we're pleased to bring you recorded excerpts from the life study of Philippians on today's broadcast. Before we join today's program, we'd like to give you our toll-free number that you may receive our free monthly newsletter, The Hearing of Faith. That number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Now, let's join today's life study. There is the Christ of the divine record, the Bible, the Christ of history, our eternal Redeemer and Savior. Believers have honored and worshipped Him through the centuries, and rightly so. But what about the present Christ, the Christ of our moment-by-moment salvation, who went through such a marvelous process, not only so that He could be with us, but even more that He could be in us? The subjective Christ, that's our focus today, as it should be every day. And Ron Kingus returns to add his portion on this most worthy subject. Ron, glad you could be here today. I'm glad to fellowship on a neglected aspect of the revelation of Christ in the New Testament. And this aspect, the subjective aspect, that is the experience of the Christ who lives in us, is in no way at odds with the complementary truths concerning the objective Christ, Christ in ascension, Christ on the throne, Christ as our high priest, Christ as the worthy lion-lamb, Christ in the divine administration. We receive all that the Bible says concerning Christ. We have no right and no position to minimize one aspect or to overemphasize another aspect. We like to take all the aspects And especially in this line of ministry today, we are, frankly, emphasizing the subjective Christ or the subjective aspect of the revelation of Christ. So we ask our listeners, if this is new to them, to be open and to listen with discernment and consider this line of ministry and fellowship concerning the subjective experience of Christ. Ron, let me bring this topic up before we begin today. In many Christian circles, this side, this aspect of Christ, the subjective, experiential, not only is it somewhat ignored, I would say in some cases it's almost openly de-emphasized. Why so? Have there been excesses or extremes that have put it in uh, this kind of light, and what's the proper balance? There cannot be an excess of Christ, and there cannot be an excess of the experience of Christ. There can be an excess of religiosity, of pietism, of some kind of notions of religious experience, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the truth 
that Christ actually dwells in us. And uh, I respect the fact that you were a little tentative in raising the question, you know, almost. You were understandably uh, sweating out the right word. But allow me, sitting where I am, to be more definite. This has been rejected and criticized, and we have suffered somewhat from that unmerited criticism. Those that have been uninformed or blind concerning biblical truth and jumping to conclusions when we speak of Christ dwelling in us have both misrepresented the word and our testimony concerning the subjective experience of Christ. We have said again and again the divine revelation is balanced, the truth in the word is twofold, so one aspect of the truth concerning Christ today is that he is in the heavens, ruling the universe. That's the objective aspect. The other aspect is that he dwells in us and is endeavoring to make his home in us. That's the subjective aspect. I feel, Chris, it's a shame for Christians to use one part of the truth to strive against another part of the truth. Why don't we simply embrace the entire truth and We cannot now give a systematic, harmonious exposition of every truth concerning Christ in this one fellowship. We are acknowledging the objective aspect is unspeakably precious and necessary. But our burden in this line of ministry, based on a book that speaks of the experience of Christ, is to emphasize the experience of the subjective, indwelling, all-inclusive Christ. Well, Ron, as we did in a program earlier this week, we want to begin today by looking at the goal of the Christian life. And I'll throw out a couple of rhetorical questions that I think will be answered by Witness Lee's Fellowship. What is the goal of the Christian life? Is it to improve our behavior? Or, on a higher plane, is it Christ? Or is it something even higher yet? Let's join Witness Lee. According to God's economy, as revealed in the New Testament, the main goal of the Christian life is to live Christ. I would say the central sound of the Bible is not only Christ, but to live Christ. To say just Christ, the central sound of the Bible, is somewhat too objective. Christ should be more than subjective to us. The Lord Jesus told us, Abide in me, and I in you. Well, this is a simple word. Abide in Christ, and Christ in you. Simple, but profound. How could you abide in another person? And how could that particular person abide in you? To abide with somebody, that's easy. But to abide in, this is impossible. There's no possibility by the human life to abide one within another. No possibility. But hallelujah, between these two lives, the human life and the divine life, there is such possibility. Then Paul says, I've been crucified. It is no more I 
but Christ that lives in me. I tell you, to live is much better than to abide. To live means to have the full liberty. In John 15, we abide in Christ. In uh, Galatians 2, Christ lives in us. Christ has the full liberty to do things, to say things, to act, and to behave because he has redeemed us. He has bought us. We become his dwelling. He lives in us. Okay, then in Ephesians, Paul prayed that Christ may make his home in your heart, in your whole being. Christ firstly abides in you, then Christ lives in you, then Christ gets himself settled in you. In every avenue, in every corner of your inner being. Ron, I really like the uh, progression that he brought us through in this section. First, Christ abides in us and we in him. And this in itself is a wonderful and profound and deep thought. But the Bible goes on, as he pointed out in Galatians and then Ephesians, to reveal that Christ not only wants to abide in us, but actually to live in us and ultimately to occupy us fully. Develop this progression for us. To abide is to stay or to be in a particular place. One can abide or remain or simply be in a certain place, for example, a a hotel room, without living there in the sense of being able to do whatever you wish to do with that dwelling place. It's really not your place of living. The illustration is inadequate, but it may help us grasp the difference between simply abiding, simply being in a place, and living in your own home where the things are yours. You can rearrange the furniture. You can put wallpaper on the walls according to your liking. You can have the temperature at whatever range you prefer. These are very elementary examples of what we do when we freely live in a certain place. Now, the Lord has come into us, and he dwells in us. He abides in us. When, in experience, we abide in the Lord, and he abides in us, we have conscious fellowship with the Lord in an intimate way. And this is most precious. We realize the Lord is in us, and we are in him, and we are in a marvelous organic union with him. This is an incredibly blessed spiritual reality, but it's not the end. Christ is now in us. The question remains, can he do whatever he wants? Does he have all the room in us? Can he make his home in every part of our mind, will, and emotion? Can he pray what he wants to pray? Can he speak what he wants to speak? Can he do what he wants to do? Once we raise questions like these, if we're honest, we will confess we have a lot to learn from experience about Christ living in us. Mm -hmm. Often when we speak of Christ living in us, we really mean 
Christ simply staying in us. But the Lord wants to live himself through us. He wants us to have one life and one living with him, even to live him in the sense that how we live outwardly is an expression of how Christ lives inwardly. So we need to have Paul's pattern clearly in view as a person in whom Christ made his home, as a person saturated with Christ. Paul lived Christ. Christ could live freely in this brother. So we need to learn of him what it means to let Christ live and to live Christ. Ron, we're talking about the subjective, the experiential Christ. We're talking about the reality of his living, not just with us, but in us, to the extent that he can do all that he wants to do. And Paul talked about this in the verse that Witness Lee mentioned here in Ephesians 3, that he would make his home in our heart. In this verse, he connects it absolutely uh, directly to the matter of the Spirit. And that's where we're going in this coming section. For some in the centuries, even the best Christians love an objective Christ. And they believed in him, and they uplifted him, and they regarded him, and they respected him, and they worshipped him as an object of their worship. Far away, remotely, in the third heavens, they didn't realize this Christ was right within them. They got the wrong teaching. They only realized what was in them, just the representative of Christ. And that was the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost was an agent sent by Christ to represent Christ, to work among them. This was their understanding. It was wrong. That was not an agent of Christ. The indwelling spirit was just Christ himself. You shouldn't separate the spirit from Christ. The Trinity is three in one. Actually, the three of the Godhead are just one. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is realized as the Spirit. When the Spirit reaches you, that means all the three are within you. Hallelujah. We have such a subjective Christ. Now, how to live this one? As the mighty God, as the Lord of all, as the one ascended to the heavens, and crowned with glory, and enthroned as the king in the third heaven, he is objective to us, no doubt about this. But on the other hand, he is not objective to us, he is subjective. He indwells us, he lives in us, he settles himself in us, he even saturates our whole being with himself in us. He is so subjective. Ron, if we are to have Christ living in us in reality, then our Christian life must have this genuine subjective aspect to it. As we mentioned earlier, many dear believers resist, even reject this thought. It seems to me, especially regarding the spirit, there is almost fear concerning the subjective uh, spirit in many circles. What about the common teaching today that the spirit is the mere objective agent of Christ or of the Godhead? There is a common saying. It um, sounds innocuous. Christ dwells in us through the Spirit, or Christ lives in us 
in the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't say that these things are wrong in themselves, but I would point out this is not the teaching of the Bible. Most of the epistles of Paul, for example, were written from experience, for experience, and according to an experiential perspective. So Paul could and did identify the indwelling Christ with the Spirit. He said, the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Spirit. He referred to the Lord as the Lord Spirit. The truth in the word, and this we admit is a controversial point because of the influence of traditional teaching. Mm -hmm. The truth in the word is not that Christ lives in us in the Spirit or through the Spirit. The truth is that Christ lives in us as the Spirit. To say that Christ lives in us through the Spirit is actually in a subtle way, to deny that Christ is actually and directly in us. Rather, he's in us through the Spirit. So Christ is somewhere. Now the Spirit is in us, representing Christ, acting as the agent of Christ. That may be a traditional notion, but it is not the divine revelation. We admit, according to the truth, in the Godhead, There is a definite distinction between Father, Son, and Spirit. But in experience, the indwelling Christ is the life-giving Spirit. We call on the Lord. We believe into the Lord. We receive the Lord. But then who came into us? The Lord as the Spirit. We know that Christ has a resurrected body with flesh and bones. We also know from the Word of God that Christ lives in us, that he is with our spirit. Objectively, Christ on the throne has a body of flesh and bones. Subjectively, Christ as the Spirit lives in us. So experientially, Christ and the Spirit are inseparable. I repeat, the last Adam became the life-giving Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. Christ the Lord dwells in us as the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, whom we know to be the pneumatic Christ. Mm. Ron, this is crucial fellowship. It's vital fellowship. We had one other portion we had uh, planned to use of Witness Lee. I think we'll save the time. I'd like to come to the topic that he was going to touch in that section and ask you if you'd covered in the last couple of minutes that we have left. Again, in the context of the subjective Christ, the Christ to be experienced in reality, the one who saves us moment by moment, the Spirit is indispensable. A good, clear understanding of the Spirit, as we've just heard, is immeasurably important. The other aspect that's equally important is the matter of the Word. As we go on in Philippians, in verses 15 and 16 in chapter 2, Paul now turns and brings in the matter of the Word. Let me read these verses and then ask you to tie this in again in a subjective experiential light. That you may be blameless, Paul says, and guileless, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine as luminaries in the world, holding forth the word of life, so that I may have a boast in the day of Christ, that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. As believers who 
endeavor to follow the complete revelation in the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we need to be balanced between the Word and the Spirit. Today, some Christians emphasize the Word, especially in letter, but minimize the Spirit. Others may emphasize the Spirit in their way, but do not have a proper regard for the Word. In a very real and practical sense, everything that we experience that is truly of the Lord comes to us in some way through the Word. Not only is our experience according to the Word and based on the Word, it depends on the Word as the channel for conveying the divine content into our being. We know from a verse such as John 6.63 that the words the Lord Jesus speaks are spirit and life. We know from 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. The Scripture not only conveys the thought of God, it also imparts the life of God, because the essence of the Word is the breath of God, and the breath of God is Spirit. So in practicality, we need to come to the Word, the Word of God written, the Bible, Then take the word into us as our food, as our life supply. And the essence of this word is spirit. As we take in the word and are strengthened by the word, we receive the supply of the spirit. And the spirit is the reality of the Christ who abides in us and desires to live in us. Therefore, in a very real sense, Christ the Spirit, and the Word are one vital, dynamic, organic, spiritual reality. In order to live Christ, we must know that Christ is the Spirit. But the Christ who is the Spirit is embodied and conveyed to us through the Word. So now the Word must become subjective to us. That is, it needs to be applied to us in an inward way. This will Equip us, nourish us, strengthen us to live Christ. I conclude with an illustration from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16, on how the word becomes subjective to us. The prophet said, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It's like finding food. You find some leftovers you like in the refrigerator. You, you found them. That's objective. Then you eat them. That's the process of the objective food becoming your subjective nourishment. Then you have a sweet enjoyment. That is the issue, the enjoyment of the food that has become subjective to you. Well, we need to find the Word every day by reading and studying the Scriptures. We need to eat the Word, subjectively appropriating it. Then that Word will cause joy and rejoicing. That joy and rejoicing is an indicator, a sign, that the Lord is living in us, that He is supplying us, that He is flowing in us, that His grace is being dispensed into us. And as we have such a word filling us, 
We are empowered by the Spirit to live Christ. So we take in the Word, the Word becomes the Spirit, and the Spirit is the reality of the indwelling Christ, and we live this Christ, magnifying Him for the glory of the Father and the shame of the enemy. I used this adjective a while ago. This is crucial fellowship. It's indispensable. I am so grateful to the Lord that we have had a chance to have this fellowship run. And I'll just offer the toll-free number and invite all of our listeners to contact us. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or you can send email to radio at lsm.org. Join us again next week. We want to continue on this same experiential vein, the marvelous Christ in Philippians. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you so much for listening. The Stream Magazine is a quarterly publication featuring the writings of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee from Living Stream Ministry. Each issue focuses on a crucial and essential topic in the Bible. Recent issues have covered such biblical truths as the assurance of salvation, regeneration, and God's purpose, His eternal plan. So call today for a free complimentary issue of The Stream Magazine. Our number is one 888 543 3788. That's 1 888 543 3788. Call today.